Hello, fellow OCD warriors. I'm Christina Orlova, your host on the OCD Whisperer podcast, your trusted companion in the battle against OCD. If you're like me and understand the struggles of living with OCD, then you're in the right place. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about something incredible. Get your OCD survival kit today at www.onlineocdacademy.com. It's filled with amazing resources to aid you in all things OCD, whether you're on a tight budget or just looking to supercharge your progress. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. With me today, I have the founder and CEO of Wired BioHealth, formerly Wired for Addiction, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. She is a recognized international expert in the epidemiology of addiction and other mental health complexities. As a certified addictionologist, diplomat of the American College of Addictionology and Compulsive Disorders, and diplomat of the American Board of Disability Analysts specializing in pain management, Dr. Higgins has had the honor of advising the U.S. Surgeon General, producing and hosting a Gracie Award-winning nationally syndicated health and wellness terrestrial radio program, and serving as a 1996 Olympic team doctor and Olympic torch bearer. With 35 years in clinical practice and consulting, Dr. Higgins has designated over 17 years to research and development in the science of mental health and addiction recovery. A TEDx speaker, panelist at the 2022 International Society of Substance Use Professionals Annual Conference in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, and 2022 International Gambling Conference in Auckland, New Zealand, and in 2021 nominee for Modern Healthcare's Top 25 Innovators in Healthcare, Dr. Higgins finds herself at the nexus of epigenetics, neuroscience, and mental health. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Christina. Pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, Dr. Higgins, like I said right before we met, you are a very accomplished woman, and uh, that's quite an impressive... (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah, roll there. And all that is education, I'd say experience and knowledge. And I think it's, it's a tremendous gift that we get to have you today and that we can dive into this conversation of, you know, OCD and addiction. I know plenty of listeners have either dealt with it themselves or maybe have are in recovery. So I think it'd be great if we can kind of jump right on in and, and perhaps talk about, you know, from the genetic standpoint, let's talk about OCD and then let's talk about addiction. What does that mean genetically? Right. Well, we'll start out with Christina that we're not healthy one day and sick the next, or we're not healthy one day and addicted the next. It's all the living that we do in between there that brings us to either end of that spectrum. So from a symptomatic standpoint, there's so many correlations that we see that bring somebody towards the addiction side of things, be it anxiety, be it depression, you know, be that agitation, all of those different symptoms get us there. So when we look at it from a genetic standpoint, there are actually biomarkers that we look at. We look at 85 different biomarkers, and we start with neurotransmitters, those brain chemicals, things like serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, phenylethylalanine, and then your hormones, from your stress hormones to your androgens or your sex hormones, how those interact together. And then the remainder are what we call SNPs, or genetic single nucleotide polymorphisms. All that means with a polymorphism is that there is an error in the coding. That error gives us what we call aberrant behavior, things like risk-taking, impulse control, anxiety, depression, addiction. So we look at all that together. And Christina, the most exciting part 
of what's happening in science today that I think is this study of epigenetics. So knowing you're born with your DNA, here's your cards, play them out. But we now know that your environment can change the expression of those genes so they can be turned on or be turned off. That is so powerful for an individual to know. Yeah, that sounds pretty incredible. So again, is anybody listening, of course, and I know because this is so OCD focused podcast, I'm sure people right now are going to have questions like, wait a minute, are you saying that environmentally I could help manage my OCD or I can turn some aspects of that off? Can you speak a little more about that? Sure. So let's just use an example of somebody comes to me and says, you know, my daughter's now 21 from zero to 21 from her birth to 20. I never saw these behaviors at 21. I see all of these things starting. How can that possibly be? She's the same kid. Well, it would be, okay, what's different in her world now? Oh, she went off to college. Oh, she has to manage her life and her expectations, maybe for the first time on her own. Maybe she's trying to juggle a job with her studies. Maybe she's trying to say, am I actually sleeping as I'm supposed to? Am I actually you know, eating nutritious food kind of thing? So all of this becomes that individual's environment. If genetically we had that predisposition there, that those genes were always there, but we never saw the expression of them, it was because that individual never had those same stressors to bring out the expression of those genes. So that's interesting. So we're seeing that with OCD experience that because, I mean, we have kids, for example, who will have like, you know, pans or pandas, right? And and right after something like that, they'll exhibit really severe OCD symptoms. Or we have folks where, you know, as kids, they could be playing and then kind of having a need to, let's say, have things be a certain way. Or, I mean, I've, I've also seen kids as young as five, you know, when they're already getting stuck on asking about questions around like, let's say death and dying as they're learning about bugs or insects right. or just life. Right. So are right. we saying that some of that information that they start to get, that people start to get starts to inform or can potentially be that environmental also component that activates? Sure. Sure. From from both of your examples, from the pandas example, we've seen plenty of that, where all of a sudden this child that never manifested any of those type of OCD symptoms is showing up with it. And then a child in a situation that's not ready to hear certain conversations and then can't let that go as a result. It's changing the expression of how you interact with your DNA. That's interesting. And so what about addiction? Let's let's get into that. So What I know, of course, people know different information about addiction, but one of the things we know is that there can be a genetic component, like like, for example, if somebody, you know, has alcoholism in the family. Um, So can we talk a little bit about that from the genetic standpoint? Sure. Sure. So great, you know, tee up to that. Typically, when I ask someone, is there any addiction in the family? almost always is in these cases. Addiction is an area where there is a very strong genetic link. 60%-ish is what we're looking at when it comes to addiction. But, you know, the power is in knowing that there may be a predisposition here. And then how do you make your choices following that, right? So we have open conversations about things like, well, there's a lot of cancer in our family. want you to know that, you know, the habits that you make, the lifestyle that you choose, you should know that. There's a lot of cardiovascular disease habits. You should know that. We should 
be having these same conversations when it comes to mental health and addiction, Christina. And you, you doing this podcast is a great way for people to have these conversations to remove that stigma that we say doesn't exist. It still does, and to have the open conversation to say this is just part of a part of healthcare. You know, that's why at Wired Biohealth, Wired for Addiction, we do what we do because what we found was that stigma still did exist and we weren't using technology to advance this area of healthcare. It's kind of like, well, this is you, just deal with it. No, there's so much that has changed. Understanding genetics and understanding how that can predispose someone to addiction, mental health concerns is something that someone should know. In my TEDx talk, I, I surround it with what if in your youth, you knew that you had a genetic predisposition? Would you make different choices as a result of that? Right? We still all have free will, but we should know this information as we go through our life to say, do I really want to do that? What's my, how am I going to play this situation out? Yeah. I mean, I think you're hitting on an actually interesting point of, you know, if you have the ability to know something sooner, right, what would you do with that information? And right. I think, you know, that of course hits on a notion of, you know, just de developmentally, where are you, right? Because as a teen, you may be like, whatever, and kind of blow things off and not pay right. attention and not right. really right. care. Or you may be somebody who, you know, as a family, maybe you, you do spend more time talking about these things because th th certain things are predominant in your family. And so it is an important topic, Right. Right. So from that standpoint, yeah, I guess it would just depend on the person, kind of what your setup is at home as well. Because I know that, for example, with OCD, one of the things we know there is that it really can, on average, can take anywhere from 14 to 17 years before somebody actually gets the appropriate correct diagnosis. So like I have OCD, for example, and my, by the time I really kind of 100% knew it was, it was, it was very later in life, like right. in my mid to late thirties. Uh -huh. So for a good chunk of my time, I didn't know, right? So there's a lot of things. If I take that notion into account, yeah, mm -hmm. I totally would have done things differently, right. right? Right. But when we're talking about also addiction and substance use, especially as, as we're talking about here with, let's say, OCD and, and that, right? Let's talk a little bit about kind of how can, how those two kind of communicate and correlate, right? How sure. do they... Like, for example, you know, when let's say somebody has, you know, intense intrusions after being triggered and their intrusions are pretty severe or they're feeling kind of traumatized a little bit by, by this kind of experience and shaken up, right. right. And how they might become hypervigilant as a way to, let's say, you know, try to make sure that everything's okay, but that might be a compulsion. Like how do you, how do you envision, how might that impact, you know, if you're, if you're also dealing with addiction? Sure. Sure. So great point, Christina. So with addiction, it's really one of three things or all three things that's going on. A diagnosed condition not being treated properly, an undiagnosed condition, a trauma, or one, two, or all three of those, right? So there's always something else going on that gets us to the point of addiction. It's someone trying to self-medicate for one of those reasons. And it works until it doesn't work. When that person first starts, whatever the behavior of the addiction is, whether it be a process addiction like gambling, like sex, things like that, or whether it be a substance addiction, really doesn't matter. It's what they found that makes them feel good in that moment. And they think, whoa, this is it. I found it. It brings me down. I'm calm. And it works until it doesn't work. And then that becomes the next thing that we have to deal with. But so many of the people that we see 
that get to that point of where there is an addiction, there is a high correlation with folks with OCD because it's that self-medicating and not even understanding, like you say, 14 to 17 years of, gosh, if I knew that before, I could have played these things out differently. So it's always that self-medication. What drives you to take something from the outside to bring it to the inside to feel better and here and get to that place of homeostasis or balance? Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest with folks who are listening and anybody who then I've certainly worked with with clients, you know, where we're dealing with, you know, addiction issues as well as OCD. I mean, one of the things I know out there is, is that there's there's actually not a lot of places that can treat both. And so from, from what I see, at least at this point in time, you, you either need to see, you know, an OCD specialist and then you'll need to do addiction, you know, or, or recovery, you know, whatever the addiction is, but right. what, what do you do first? Right. Where do you start? How would you, how do you conceptualize that? Right. Right. That, that whole dual diagnosis situation. And you're right. The facilities, most of them are not set up for that. It's either, or, and that's not how this works. Right. Right. It works with all of it together. So you hit the nail on the head. It's really, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, the self-medicating for whatever was going on within that individual. You know, we can look at things like, you know, someone says, well, I have more. We actually measure. So we have objective information on an individual and they'll say, well, I have more serotonin than I need for my gender, my age as we, we look at the metrics there, and it's like increased serotonin also makes the potential for someone to be anxious, for them to be agitated. So it's just because you have more doesn't mean it's better. Looking at more epinephrine than you have, well, isn't that good if I have more? No, we're looking at things like anxiety, agitation, low-range dopamine. We're looking at things like anxiety, depression, but then those stimulating behaviors outside of yourself to seek that feeling that you're trying to get. So it's all of these things. Then when we look at the SNPs, the um, COMT gene, the GAD1 gene, where we're not converting glutamic acid to GABA from a stimulating to a common. So it's not one thing. It's all of these things and how they play out in you. Yeah. I mean, so if somebody actually, let's say, is dealing with both, what would you say? Like, where should they start? I mean, I would say start with doing lab work. So we have a blueprint of you, your unique physiology, right? Christina, there's what, seven and a half billion people in the world. No one has the same DNA. Yet when we treat people, we treat them as if they're all the same. That doesn't make sense. So start out with knowing where your unique physiology is. And then from that, we look at those biochemical pathways and we say, okay, where do we need support and to what level? And then that's the step before you get to the addiction. You start getting that right. That need to self-medicate doesn't go on anymore. Interesting. Yeah, no, I actually, yeah, I love that concept of getting the labs done, right? Because there are so many things we don't know. Of course, for anybody with OCD and phobias or anxieties, you, you know, you could very well have phobias around getting blood drawn or you might mm-hmm. even have, you know, OCD themes around potentially, you know, having your information out there. So, you know, with all that in mind, though, I think it's definitely helpful if you have more information in terms of just knowing internally, where are you? Just where's your body? How's it working? Like, sure. I have to say, like, even on a personal level, so my mom has cancer, has been dealing with it for a couple of years now, right? So, of course, for me, like for a second OCD attached to that, but it's like, okay, instead of 
sitting with the unknowing, go ahead and get a screening, right? So that you can have education, you have information, you can make an informed decision right. and go from there. And this sounds like we're really saying that as well here where absolutely get that absolutely. work, right? And to your point, I cannot tell you the amount of times, Christina, when we're going over someone's labs, there's tears, there's tears of joy, there's tears of relief. They're like, everything that I have always felt inside of me, you're saying, and you're saying it based off of these labs. I'm like, right, you could make up stories and tell me completely different things. But when I see your labs, I'm going to say this, 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 and this. And it's someone feels like they're heard. Like, this isn't all in my head. Right. Of course. I mean, this is your blood work. This is something that's going to be, I mean, it's undeniable. It's right there. And it'll definitely tell you your markers and and what's off, what's right. And again, some of the things it sounds like, especially with addiction, if I understand correctly, you can actually address through looking at, okay, where do we need to kind of adjust things? Absolutely. With OCD, I don't know if you know this or not, you know, at least from my knowledge, and again, I'm not an MD, but from my knowledge, I mean, I know what we've seen that works is typically SSRIs. There's some new research around, you know, GABA, but I don't know really much else that really can be done from that standpoint outside of, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy approaches. Well, let me share an example with you with the SSRI situation. We've seen countless people that have been on an SSRI for decades. And when we do their labs, their serotonin is in the tank. So that was never going to work for them but no one took a deeper dive. So what? just look at emotionally what that does to somebody. When you've been in on, on an SSRI for that long, first off, they've never, they were never meant for people to live on them. They were meant for acute situations. But when you've been doing this for decades and you got nowhere, you start to think, this is all me. I don't want to be better. You know, this is just, I'm, I'm not, you know, you go down that rabbit trail of worthiness and all those other things that have nothing to do with it. So there's that aspect of it that was never going to work for you. There's a pharmacogenomic lab, which is not a patent that we have, but it's there's probably 15 or 16 different companies. We do offer it. But this looks at pharmaceuticals that an individual is on and says, is there any caution for you in your DNA? Is this safe for you? Is this cautionary to where it should be changed for you? We also, when we look at the genetic portion of things, there's a gene, common term called the SIRT gene, that if someone has a polymorphism here, be it heterozygous, homozygous, it can make an SSRI less effective for them. So you can know all of these things going into it rather than the the guess method of let's try this, let's double it, let's half it, let's double it again, let's try something different. There's so many more advances that have been made that people really are not educated on and aren't using just because they don't know. Yeah. So let me ask you a question because I, I'm pretty sure anybody listening right now, just like myself, I, one of the most common questions, of course, is cost, right? So is this something that's covered by any insurance? Is this something that's usually out of pocket? What price range are we talking about? Because of course, like any person, if you're struggling and you're in pain, you want to get better. But as we we know, right, some treatments are sometimes out of reach for some people for, you know, some treatments are you know a little more accessible, but in general, it does take up some financial kind of hit from a person when, when you're dealing with something and you're kind of having to address it. So what sure. price range are we talking about or kind of, so, yeah. so I'll tell you first off that we had the largest insurer nationally actually come to us, which is unbelievable. 
that they're the ones who came to us saying that they wanted to do a, a pilot program on it to show the efficacy because they know it's there. And then if they cover it, everyone else will follow. So for that to happen, that's unbelievable in insurance mm-hmm. world talk, right? That yes. does not happen. Yes. So that's really good. That's a great sign. Beyond that, if you go to our website, Wired Biohealth or Wired for Addiction, there's a 15-minute consultation just to share with you what would be needed for you, what that cost would look like, all that's unveiled. To say it just blanketly, I can't really say. It depends on what that individual needs. It's affordable to everybody. I can tell you that. We make it affordable to everyone. But it just depends on how many pieces of, of what we have they need with whatever is going on with them. But yeah, I mean, take advantage of that call and tell us what's going on. And we'd say, okay, you know, this is what we would do. And this is what it would look like. Wonderful. And then if, if let's say if somebody needs a payment plan, do you offer payment plans yes. or, yep. okay. Yep, so yep, there's yep. flexibility. And sure. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the most important, right? If, if we can yeah. make things accessible because everybody needs help, right? We just yep. need to figure a way of how can we work together exactly. to, to get you there. Exactly. That's um, why I say it is affordable for everybody. I'm okay. That's awesome. So, because now I'm curious, if somebody does, let's say, reach out, is this where they would work with your your kind of clinic, or is this where like you'd work with their doctor? Is this like anybody can reach out from anywhere, or you know what I mean? Because sure. some some so, yeah. So we have individuals come directly to us. We have individuals that are working with coaches, therapists, treatment centers that come to us. We have individuals that ha- are incarcerated that we work with. That's where we actually started in the justice system. And judges actually love what we do because they can make a sentence based on objective data points instead of any kind of prejudice that may be within them as a human being. So all of that, you come directly to us. Our team, after we get the lab samples back, we create what's known as a biomarker evaluation report. We go over each one of those biochemical pathways and what we would need to do to support that. And then you can either take that information. We, we give you, here's everything that we would do step-by-step step over a six-month period of time. Take it, run with it on your own. Or if you want us to guide you through that, we can do that too. Amazing. Wow. Okay. This is, I think, really great for folks to know just that this exists. And yeah, exactly. and that, I mean, I think the more the merrier, right? Especially since we're advancing, really, if we think about it in the world, I mean, it's going to be 2024 soon. This episode might be out in 2024, but I think, you know, with AI and everything else we've seen, I mean, we are moving, right. we're definitely evolving. So yeah. it's great to have things like this to take advantage of and to learn a bit more about your own system. Absolutely. And as I said, you know, that was what made us do what we do at our company because we were not using technology to advance mental health and addiction. We weren't. You know, is that it could still be 1970 because we're going to treat people the same way, 1990, right? So that's why we're, we did what we do and, and it continues to evolve. Yeah, it's such absolutely. a fast pace in, in the field of epigenetics that moving at such a fast, beautiful pace, because not only do people not have to suffer the way they are, but just that first glimmer of hope, there's a different way to do this. And it's available. You know, I love that. I love that. I think that's awesome. Well, I'd like to ask you, you know, if there was one thing you could leave our listeners with, it can be inspiration, it can be hope, it could be anything, what would you leave them with? 
Sure. So a lot of people had asked me that. They're like, what do you see as the future? I'm like, I would love to see this screening done just as we do with CBC, a complete blood count when you go for your yearly with your doctor, that we know where your starting point is in your mental health. So you're the trajectory of your life can change. And I leave you with hope because there is so much that has evolved that people aren't aware of yet that it is there and you can feel different and your life can feel different. As a result of that, everyone in your world benefits by you feeling better. I love it. And where can people find you if they'd like to find you? Sure. So go to wiredbiohealth.com or wiredforaddiction.com. Go on there. Just do that complimentary 15-minute consultation. Tell us what you've done so far, where you're at. We tell you what we can offer and or point you in another direction. You know, it's it's available. We want to help people. It's why we do what we do. I love it. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Higgins. Thank you, Christina. My pleasure. And thank you for doing what you do. This is how information gets out there. So keep it up. Great work. Thanks for joining us on the OCD Whisperer podcast. Remember, your path to freedom from OCD, it's a journey. Visit www.onlineocdacademy.com for self-help masterclasses that fit your journey, your pace, and your budget. We understand that not everybody can afford a specialist, and that's why we're here to provide accessible resources. Subscribe, rate, and share, and together we can overcome the challenges of OCD. Stay strong, and we'll catch you on the next episode.